But at the same time, we're in this thing called sanctification. And although our sin will never separate us from God, if we are in Christ, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And our sin weakens what God wants to do in our lives if we don't have a continual cycle of repentance and confession and cleansing. Like, I love garbage day because I get to take out the trash. And I love repentance in my life because it takes out the trash. I love cleaning house and doing a whole reno of my heart and life. That's only done through repentance. Hi, friends, and welcome to Live in the Light. Thank you, as always, for dialing us in here today and joining us. And we're praying for you that as God's Word is opened in your life, that you would sense and see and enjoy the radical transformation that comes through the revelation of God's truth. Speaking of God's truth, we're learning today that God is speaking. And we're in the middle of a series entitled just that, God Speaks, specifically in Psalm 19. And we're wrapping up our series today But Robbie, it's a big message for us today, isn't it? That's right, Craig. And I'm uh, pretty excited about this um, series ending today because the way this message ends, we know that this has impacted many, many lives in the past because it's just, it's a passage. It's a truth that cuts right to the heart of where God wants to speak, how he wants to speak, and then through us, how his voice is so powerfully heard. So I just want to just give a heads up to our, our listeners today. There's a good chance you will be personally convicted by a message that speaks of such content. And so if that's the case and you want to copy the message, you want to let us know, we would love to hear you. You can call us or email us and just to see how God is working within your heart. Again, sometimes it's messages like these and passages like these that really bring us to a turning point to say, you know what? I'm done with what I've been doing or where I've been. Today's a new day in Jesus Christ. I really believe in these moments and I believe this could be one for you. So with expectancy and with faith and with a prayer to our God, I say, God, would you move and would you speak through our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's go right away to God's word for us today in the teaching from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 12. And listen, God wants to speak to us. Here and now is our teacher, Pastor Robbie. Um, This is going to hurt a little bit, but that's kind of the point. No, that is the point. But to bring then the healing and to bring the reality of what God wants to do. Um, Here are some fruits of pride in our lives. Uh, First one's this. um, I want to be well-known or important. I am selfishly ambitious. I really want to get ahead and make a name for myself. I want to be important in life. I like having position or title. I far prefer to lead than follow. I'm sinfully competitive. I'm overly competitive. I always want to win or come out on top, and it bothers me when I don't. I want to impress people. I want people to be impressed with me. I like to make my accomplishments known what I look like, the vehicle I drive, how much money I earn, how spiritual I think I am, the things I've accomplished, what I know, where I went to school, who I know. I like to talk about myself. I like to talk especially about myself or persons or things that I'm involved with. I want people to know what I'm doing or thinking. I would rather speak than listen. I have a hard time being succinct. 
I desire recognition and praise. I desire to receive recognition and credit for what I do. I'd like people to see what I do and let me know that they've noticed. I feel hurt or offended when they don't. I am overly concerned about my reputation. I hate being misunderstood. I am not fulfilled in serving others. I'm not very excited about seeing or making others successful. I tend to feel envious, jealous, or critical towards those who are doing well or being honored. I am anxious. I am often anxious about my life and the future. I tend not to trust God and rarely experience his abiding and transcendent peace in my soul. I have a hard time sleeping at night because of fearful thoughts and burdens that I carry. I am insecure. I often feel insecure. I don't want to try new things or step out into uncomfortable situations because I'm afraid I'll fail and look foolish. I am easily embarrassed. I compare myself. I regularly compare myself to others. I am performance-orientated. I feel I have greater worth if I do well. I'm self-serving. When asked to do something, I find myself asking, how will this help me? Will I be inconvenienced? I am not focused on the needs and interests of others. I'm self-righteous. I tend to be self-righteous. I can think I have really something to offer God. I would never say so, but I think God did well to save me. I seldom think or or recognize my total depravity and helplessness apart from God. I regularly focus on the sins of others. I don't credit God for any degree of holiness in my life. Ungrateful. I often feel ungrateful. I tend to grumble about what I have or my lot in life. I am not amazed by grace on a regular basis. I am captive to self-pity. I found myself wallowing in self-pity. I am consumed with how I am treated by God and others, and I tend to feel mistreated and hate being misunderstood. I am jealous and envious. I can be jealous or envious of others' abilities, possessions, positions, accomplishments, and friends. I want to be what others are. I want to have what others have. I think I should have it, and I deserve it. Interruptive. I interrupt people regularly. I don't let people finish what they are saying. Here's the last one I'll read. Um, I think of others during teaching. I listen to teaching with other people in mind. Are you doing that right now? I constantly think of folks who need to hear and apply this teaching, and I wish they were here. Now, I'll end right there because that's probably, well, in this room right now, there's probably individuals who are, as you read, you are thinking, I wish that person heard that. That's so much that person. That right there, see how deceptive and wicked the heart is? It's desperately wicked. Who could understand it? And the heart continues to point things in other directions when we are the ones who first need to see what's happening within our own lives. Now, why did I do that and what just happened? I read that list of some of the fruits of pride in our lives because I wanted to expose some sin. I wanted to be revealed. I think there's some conviction in the room. And when God does that, see these sins that are revealed, then God moves us then to repentance. But here's my point. What if I didn't just read that list? Well, then I suggest these sins remain hidden and they're not confessed. And there's no opportunity necessarily for repentance. And we're not aware of how much goes on in our lives that we don't actually see that, listen, that blocks the voice of God through our lives. That's why we join with David, declare me innocent from hidden faults. 
Oh God, the things I see and the things I don't see. Listen, there's so much grace available from the Lord Jesus Christ, but we must ask for it. And the reason we go through this is not to beat you up and to make you feel guilty. It is to bring conviction to say how much I want God's grace and love and mercy to keep flowing in my life that I'm used and able to hear his voice and then use his voice through my life. That's the point. And David says there are hidden sins, but now it gets more serious. Now we move on to presumptuous sins. So hidden sins and now presumptuous sins. Look at verse 13. He says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, what's the difference between hidden sins and presumptuous sins? It's this. Presumptuous sins are sins we do with knowledge and with pride. I read this this week. This is very helpful. Things that make sins presumptuous. We know better. We flat out know this is not God's will. We flat out know this is sinful. We flat out know this is wrong, yet we choose to do it anyways. Those are presumptuous sins. These are sins where friends have warned us not to sin in this way. Friends having the courage to love us and to say, my brother, my sister, what you're about to do, you know this is not going to please God, and yet we do it anyways. That is a presumptuous sin. Sins where God has warned us, God himself in his word, through his teaching, God has shown us, this is not my plan for your life. This is sin. And we do it anyways, knowing that God totally disapproves. There are sins where in the past we have warned others about this sin. And yet we ourselves find ourselves in the place where we're now committing the sins that in the past we have told others not to do. Presumptuous sins are sins that we plan on sinning about. We make plans to sin. We strategize the way to carry out the sin and we relish it when we do it. We start to delight in the act of sin. Those are presumptuous sins. It's dangerous because they are willful, arrogant actions against God and against his will. So it's one thing if we sin in ignorance But it's a whole nother thing. If we see the sin before us, we know what we're about to do and we choose to do it anyways. And of course, David would know what was going on. David, with his sin, the greatest turning point in his life for the negative was his sin with Bathsheba. When kings go out to war, David was on his palace roof. He was choosing not to do what kings do at that time. He is bored. He is sitting idle. He is not busy. He's walking around the palace roof. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He puts eyes on her. He lusts after her. He knows it's wrong. She's married to another man. He chooses to do it anyways. He brings her over. She becomes pregnant. He panics. Then her husband, Uriah, he arranges for him to come back. It doesn't work. Then David is forced now. I have to murder him, get him killed in battle. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He chooses to do it anyways. It's willful, arrogant, presumptuous sins, which is the greatest negative turning point of David's life. Yes, David would be forgiven. Absolutely, he would be forgiven. But consequences would be drastic and vast, wreaking havoc, on his family. You see, the greatest danger, the greatest danger of this presumptuous sins, and this is the progression that David is showing us, is it starts to become our prison. 
it starts to take hold of our heart. You see, it's a big deal if you stare sexual immorality in the face and you do it anyways. That's a big deal. That's a big deal if you're looking at greed for your own gain that is going to break laws and hurt others and you know exactly what's going on, but you're going to participate in this scam for your own benefit and you do it anyways. That's a big deal. That's a big deal if you are tearing someone apart through gossip for self-interest and to demean and destroy another individual and you know you're doing it, but you're relishing the opportunity and the sin. That's a big deal before God. And the more we engage in sins like this, sins of lust and greed and idolatry, what begins to happen, man, it's not hidden and it goes from being presumptuous to our third level of sin, enslaving sins. Hidden sins, presumptuous sins, and then enslaving sins. Again, look at verse 13. He says, keep your servant back also from presumptuous sins. And this is key. Let them not have dominion over me. What does dominion mean? It means to control. It means to rule. It means to reign. Really, it means domination. It's fascinating here how clearly David sees the doctrine of sin and he sees how devastating it can be. Remember, understand this, when sin will always aim for its highest level of devastation and consequences. Say, what do you mean? Lust, the sin of lust, if allowed to grow, it will grow into full maturity into adultery. Lust wants to grow from a little baby lust thought into full out adultery and sexual immorality. Every time, if allowed, it will go. Um, Unbelief, if it's allowed, if it's watered and it's growing, it grows into this hideous weed. Unbelief will, will go all the way to atheism if allowed. Jealousy. If allowed to carry on jealousy and envy, will turn to hatred, will turn into murder. Cain and Abel. If allowed, sin will go all the way to its highest level of devastation and consequence for our lives. And it happens all the time, which is, again, so scary. See, this is why sin is so awful. Because if allowed, it imprisons us. It hidden, presumptuous dominion. It has dominion, control. It reigns in our lives. Again, that's why it's so serious. It becomes our master. We become its slave. So if you look at the end of verse 13, there's an exclamation mark there. That's there by the Holy Spirit. That's part of the inspired word. It's there because this is so serious. I mean, some men here right now, listen, listen, you have to understand. Do you think pornography is a game? Do you think pornography is a game of a little thing you can do and just have a couple of feelings every now and then just walk away with that? You must understand pornography is not a game. It's a prison of your heart. Every time you engage in this behavior, you are giving part of yourself into a prison of death. That's what's happening. I mean, wake up right now. Wake up, man. It's not a game. This is wanting to rule your life and heart. It wants to take you down. It wants to kill you. It's not just a couple of clicks and walking away. You are placing your heart in a prison of Satan and death. It's that serious. You are blocking. You are blocking what God wants to do. Do you think drunkenness is a game? It's not a game. It's not just a fun time with some friends. It is imprisoning your heart. 
It is starting to rule your life. It is getting access to your affections and your will, and it will become your small G God. It's not a game. This is serious stuff. And you know, some people don't like sermons on sin, but then they don't like the Bible. And the reason God gives us hard, serious messages like this is because he loves us. And he shows us that you must confess and repent of this sin so that the grace and love and mercy of God can fill again and make you alive that you are used by God. Now, the theological tightrope I'm walking during this message is, but I thought our sin was nailed to the cross. All of it has been justification. The penalty has been paid as believers. But at the same time, we're in this thing called sanctification. And although our sin will never separate us from God, if we are in Christ, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And our sin weakens what God wants to do in our lives if we don't have a continual cycle of repentance and confession and cleansing. I love garbage day because I get to take out the trash. And I love repentance in my life because it takes out the trash. I love cleaning house and doing a whole reno of my heart and life. That's only done through repentance. And this week, repentance and surrender, God was leading me to on several occasions and with great joy, taking out the trash of my life, that God might give it joy and blessing in return. But we must see how devastating sin really is. Now make no mistake about it. If you're not in Christ, your sin is death. Our sin makes a separation between us and God. Before Christ, you are, that's why you need Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And if you're here today, I implore you, be reconciled to Jesus Christ, running to him for forgiveness. We'll get there in just a few minutes. For us is to understand, though, the serious nature of what we're talking about. I found this written by David Gusick. Look, look at this as to what we've discussed so far and where we're going. Here's the progression of sin in our lives. It starts from a passing temptation to a chosen thought. Goes from a chosen thought to an object of our meditation. We start thinking about it, dwelling upon it. Meditation goes for, I want that. I want that sin. And then I want that sin turns into, I'm going to get that sin. I'm going to do something about that sin. And planned action leads to, I'm looking for an opportunity now so I can fulfill this. Opportunity goes to a performed action. I'm now committing the sin. And then the action, if unchecked, goes to repeated action. And then the repeated action turns into delight. Now I'm willfully choosing in my delight to relish this sin that is against God. And delight now turns into I want new ways to sin in this way. I want to create new methods of how I can enjoy my flesh in this way. Then new ways turns into a habit. And then a habit starts to become my idolatry. And then when it's my idol, then my idol puts me down and says, you serve me now. And then my sin demands to be served. It's scary. Idolatry then, now I start to order my life in the sacrifice of this sin. And then ultimately, if it goes right to the end, then I become a slave to the very sin that began as a passing temptation. Serious stuff. And it's very important for us to realize. You see, because one of Satan's greatest strategy when it comes to sin is to make us think it's not a big deal. That's one of his greatest strategies. Ah, everyone does it. Don't worry about it. Ah, you forget it. But the reality is, it is a big deal. This is why David cries out, though, in verse 13. 
He says, oh, Lord, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. Oh, Lord, you're the only one who can save me from this. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of this great transgression, the enslaving nature of sin. Oh, God, make me blameless and make me innocent of these things. How, how, how? Only by the Lord and only with his grace. So, so if I want God to speak through my life, I grow wise to the devastation of sin. But, but again, now I was going to say that's the bad news, but it's not bad news. It's just, it's, it, it's just hard news. It's actually a form of good news, understanding sin, but it is hard news, but it's not bad news. But now we come to maybe the easier news to hear and the rejoicing news of, of how to see victory in our lives through this. Point number two, I must be convinced as to the power of surrender. I must be convinced as to the power of surrender. Surrender is the pathway to breaking the cycle of sin Surrender and repentance. So verse 14 now, David says, so let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These words are very familiar to us, but notice the humility. Notice the surrender. Notice the God, I can't do this. Take my words, take my lips. But here's a good point. What's, what use is here's my words if you don't have my heart? Because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus tells us. So our heart is most critical and affects then our words. See, a lot of people can say the right things. I hear it all the time. People saying the right verbiage, saying the right Christianese, saying the right things to appease people around them, but their heart has not been changed. Therefore, there is no true surrender and repentance. There is no true transformation. There's no point saying, here's my words, if you don't have your heart. The heart and the mouth, the the lips, they go together. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. And then he says, be acceptable. Be acceptable in your sight, O God. Acceptable is a language of sacrifice. It's like Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, acceptable, it says in Romans 12, 1, which becomes our spiritual worship. See what David's doing here? He's calling out for grace and mercy, asking, Lord, make me into a sacrifice of worship. And then we say this, though, what are the sacrifices that God loves? David helps us in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a surrendered spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. I mean, hear the principles of truth for the rest of your life. The sacrifices that God wants to see in my life and yours is humility and brokenness and a surrendered nature to I can't do this but through you oh God I have sinned I need you I have failed I need your power your grace your love your forgiveness oh God I need you and I must admit that I need you if I'm going to have you speak through my life God does not work through the proud. God works through the humble, the contrite in spirit, the broken. This, loved ones, is the power of surrender. Who does God use? The surrendered. God uses the surrendered. We must be convinced of the power of surrender. Some of you are here today and you are fighting this for for, for 10 years. You've been fighting this because of pride. Stop fighting. 
Stop holding on for dear life, trying to do it your way. When will you give up? When will you finally raise your hands and surrender? When will you finally believe the Lord is right and you are not? You see, the, the, hold, the harder you hold on, you're holding on to the prison cells of defeat. But if you let go, the prison door gets flown wide open and God ushers you into a place of joy and peace because you're willing to see your need of something so far beyond yourself. There are men and women here right now. You have been so stubborn and so resistant to change. Today, you have an opportunity to change that. Stop blaming other people. Stop looking at yourself for the solution. Look to Christ and believe you will find his love in a way you've never known if you trust him. If you trust him in repentance and in surrender. I want God to speak through my life and surrender. Surrender is the entry point for the power of God. And of course, what happens if we're on this path, we come to point three, which is this, then I must run to my redeemer. There's no way this will ever happen apart from the redemption found only in Jesus Christ. David goes from devastation of sin to the power of surrender to the reality of his redeemer. So David saves his most intimate phrase for his last Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word redeemer here is kinsman redeemer. It literally means I'm a male relative that delivers or rescues. It's a male who acts on behalf of his family to save them. So David, when he says this here, you're my redeemer. He says, father, I belong to you and you have rescued me. Father, you have brought me bought me from slavery. You have brought me and rescued me from bankruptcy. When I was an orphan, you became my father. In my sin, you became my savior. In my weakness, you became my rock or my strength. So he says, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And to see the flow of God and the strength of God and the power of God, we must run to our redeemer. And of course, as, as new covenant Christians, as, as living in this age of grace, we look now and we see all what the Bible points to. It's Jesus Christ. It's the son of God. It's our redeemer, the one who died for us, the one who has taken our sin and our guilt and our unrighteousness and our transgression and our iniquity, sparing us the wrath of God and releasing us from hell and opening up the gates of heaven. Jesus Christ is the answer to all that we see and need with our sin. So weighed down and all the accusation that comes Jesus Christ buys us from slavery. He rips off our filthy clothes. He sets us free. He places on us white robes of righteousness. What a savior and what a redeemer. He's the one we run to and he's the one speaking today, asking you to trust him again and run to him with your sins on the floor and your savior in your heart. That's the path to believing the power, the purity, the blessing of the gospel upon your life. But this will only happen for those with faith. You must have faith. You must believe that this is right and this is true. Yes, our sin is great, but listen, listen. Our Savior is greater. And the grace that abounds, listen, but the grace does not abound, so we keep sinning. The grace abounds that we know we've been set free from this. Therefore, we must live more like our Savior because we love him so much because he has set us free. You see what God's saying to you today? 
God is calling you to himself again. I am utterly convinced again, there are several periods within the Christian life we need to place ourselves down and clean our house and take out the trash and get ourselves in a position to say, God, cleanse me and clean me because the sins get hidden and the presumptuous sins take place and the enslaving sins are a moment away. Don't you see the sins of life that want to kill you? I am more and more becoming aware of the sins that are trying to take down my ministry and ruin my marriage and ruin me as a dad or a friend all the time the battle is on I must have the saving grace of my savior wash over me again and again and again I must hate that sin I must nail it for what it is and I must run to the only one who can set me free again and again and the power is surrender the call is repentance and the opportunity is now right now. Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. You can also write us at any time in Canada at 500 Great Lakes Boulevard, Oakville, Ontario, Canada, L6L6X9. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.